You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the latest edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. Please do find all the podcasts here in the Five Reasons Sports Network covering the Miami Hurricanes, which is the subject we're going to be discussing today, the Five Rings Podcast with Josh Darrow. We have swings and misses as spring's training gets started for the Miami Marlins. Miami Heat Beat always rolling during the heat season. And, of course, we'll have you covered during NBA All-Star Weekend with Dwayne Wade making his final appearance in the All-Star Game. Ethan is making the trip up to Charlotte uh, shortly after this podcast is released. So uh, do follow our coverage of NBA All-Star Weekend this weekend. But we wanted to talk about uh, the remarkable transformation uh, of the UM program that's happened in a period of about six weeks. It's been kind of incredible uh, how quickly UM and the narrative around it has changed. And we can think of no one better to bring on than a Gator. Zach Krantz is joining us uh, here on the Five Reasons Podcast. Well, Zach Krantz, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. What's better than doing a Canes podcast with a guy who is known as Gator Zach for a long time on the radio, <laughs> of course. And don't forget, because I'm going to bring it up so we can just get it out of the way quick. I am the guy that got kicked off UM's campus doing the show with Joe Rose on WQAM because I wore my Gator hat to, to Hurricane Signing Day on campus and Randy Shannon and the staff there kicked me off campus. So what better to do it a Canes podcast than with me today? Exactly. Okay, I, I need more details on that. So was campus police brought in? Were there armed guards? Like, like what, what, no. what, 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 what did it take for you to be kicked off? Well, we were we go to do our show on National Signing Day, the Joe Rose show uh, on QAM. So we did our show there. Uh, we get set up. We have an engineer. We have myself. We have Joe Rose. We have the coaches coming in and out doing interviews with us. They're bringing us Basically, not the letters of intent, but like the notes that say we're about to announce this. You can announce in five minutes. We've signed this guy. We've signed this guy. It was great. And then at one point, Clint Hurt, for all the Kings people out there, you know Clint Hurt was. He was around here years ago. Walked in, saw my hat, almost flipped his chair in front of us, and then told me to go bleep myself, basically, <laughs> and I'm going to kick your ass. And he said, and pointed in my face like we were, like we were at a bar, both drinking. Points in my face and said, I'm going to kick your, you know what? I'm going to kick your fucking ass. That's what basically said It's a podcast. Come on, Zach. Let's curse. I'm not used to it. You know that I'm a radio guy. I'm censored. I'm always censored. No, he basically walked in and said, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. And then Mark Cray, who's the, you know, the, uh, not the, he's the SID there for the can. He's Randy Shannon's, you know, right-hand man at the time, literally walks in and says, Hey, uh, we're gonna, you're going to have to leave campus if you don't, you know, do something with your hat. The coaches are upset. Randy doesn't want to come in here. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, God, I can't believe what I'm doing. And at that point, I believe, I don't remember who the uh, athletic director at the time was. I don't think it was Paul D. I think it was, it might, might have been Paul. I don't remember. Uh, they sent a letter to my, to my general manager at WQAM, like demanding an apology or, or demanding that I get fired. Uh, because I showed up to campus with this hat on. Obviously, I'm an idiot. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. I had to drive down to Coral Gables from Plantation. I wore the same hat every single day for years, this gator hat that I had on. It was one of those, like, kind of 
all black gator hats, but you could kind of see the gator on there. And I wasn't doing it for any particular reason, except for that I'm lazy in the morning and I put on sandals and a hat every day to go to work. And this really sparked like a, a little bit of a controversy where Joe Bell, my general manager, had to tell the university, we'll suspend him for a day, but we're not firing anybody. But Clint Hurt legitimately threatened my life that day. He said he was going to kill me, kick my ass. And I thought he was joking and kind of laughed back at him. And he didn't laugh back after I laughed. <laughs> so I knew at that point we're in trouble. I sat on my Canes hat the rest of the time. My hair was all messed up. It was disgusting. And I sat there. And then I had to write a letter to Randy Shannon apologizing. Otherwise, I was going to be in deep shit with the station. Randy should have apologized for some of his coaching while he was at the University of Miami. So I think you guys are actually eating. Probably. No, you're probably right. But you know what the crazy part is? Because you know how I, I, I keep just about everything. I kept that email in my favorites. And I just looked at it like three weeks ago. And I laughed hysterically at it because I was going to read it back on the show now. And I was like, now nah, I'm not even going to touch this again. I'm, I'm finally, people finally forgot maybe that story, but I might as well bring it up again since I am doing a Canes podcast. You're not just doing a Canes podcast, Krantz. You're doing a fucking Canes podcast. Okay, that's <laughs> a fucking Canes podcast. It can't threaten saying. my life right now, so we're Thanks. okay. <laughs> yeah and and uh and I, that that story is uh, is tremendous and, and it's just outstanding to me especially considering that Randy Shannon eventually went on to be the defensive coordinator at the University of Florida so uh so Randy Shannon Randy Shannon does not uphold himself to a similar standard but uh but we do want to talk some games with you and uh, at least in part because the show that you work on the Joe Rose show with Zach Krantz airing weekday mornings from 6 a.m until 10 a.m on WQAM you guys have uh the head coach of the UM football program on every week and I always find it amusing that all the beat writers tune in and aggregate uh, everything that is said uh, during that interview. So you're kind of, uh, you know, center, I don't want to say at the center of the program, but always, you know, a a focal point of of the discussion. And I I just want to start here before we kind of move on to the transition and everything that's happened with Manny Diaz. But when it's it's uh, December 28th, after the Pinstripe Bowl, after uh, the University of Miami gets hammered, um, it, where do you think this program is going under Mark Rick? If Mark Rick stays, where do you think this is going? And in general, how weird was it to see a, a malaise surrounding the program when just one year earlier, at, at the same time, you're getting ready to talk about the University of Miami appearing in the Orange Bowl for the first time in more than a decade, and just how quickly that had turned in a negative direction. Yeah, 12 months before you know Mark Rick steps down, there was conversation here in Miami and around the country, really, but really down here in Miami more of, hey, can Miami get into the playoff? Like, can Miami get into the top four, even if they lose to Clemson in the ACC championship? Could that happen? And then 12 months after that, the program was in disarray. It was bad. Guys were going to leave. I don't think guys were going to stay on campus with Mark Rick there. And when Mark Rick got hired, just before he got hired, there's no chance any Canes fan could have told me that they were going to be upset with a Mark Rick hiring. And it's amazing how a couple of years later, they were excited for him to go. It's, it's crazy what happened in Coral Gables over the last couple of years, but nothing crazier than going from like a top three finish possibly and getting into the playoff maybe a year before to Mark Rick stepping down because, listen, this is no one knows the real truth except for Blake James and Mark Rick. But I can imagine that Blake James said to Mark Rick after that game and after last season, here's the deal. Like your offense, is, it's kind of stinky and we got to do something about it. And unfortunately, your son is right there in the mix. We got to make some fire. You got to you know, get rid of some guys. And listen, Mark, you got to get rid of your son. I, I guess if I was in the same spot and my son was the offensive coordinator or quarterback's coach or tight end's coach or whatever, and they told me to fire him, I probably would have done the same thing as Mark did and said, you know what, I'm done. I'm out of here. But I cannot believe a 12-month span like Hurricane fans went through when 
you were legitimately talking about this program's turning around. Even though Malik Rozier was there, everyone was still really excited. Next year, it's going to be Nikosi Perry, and the Williams kid might be coming on campus. He's going to be great. To the point where you put Nikosi Perry into the game, and you were almost wishing that Rozier was back. Like, it was just, like, you had no quarterback. It's the good old saying of, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterback. Well, the Canes had three, so they had zero quarterback on that roster. And then you're you're waiting on a 17- or 18-year-old freshman to maybe come save the day the next season with Jaron Williams. What had happened in 12 months in Coral Gables is almost unprecedented, although if you look at the last 10 years at UM, you kind of saw this in, like, different waves. You saw it with Golden. You saw it at the end of Coker. You saw it when, when Randy was there. It just was a high-profile name in Mark Rick but it blew up in Mark's face and it blew up in a lot of Kane's fan spaces too. Yeah. What surprises me about it, uh, Zach is I can't remember, and you've been on this market, you know, a long time on a bunch of different shows. I, I can't remember it souring for anybody so quickly. Like, that was supposed to be competent, right? So, like, we, we've had some coaches down here, like Cam Cameron, like, that that soured before the season started. You know, turn your thumbs this way, like, right? That, that soured <laughs> on draft day. Like, he didn't even get to the first game of the season, and you already knew, nope. ah, this is going to be 1-15. Um, and so that soured pretty quickly. We've had a bunch of Panther coaches that, well, I can't even remember their names. I mean, you know, they just, they've come in and out of here. I mean, some Marlins managers that that didn't make any kind of a dent. But, this was supposed to be, like I said, a home run hire. Like this was, uh, yep. you know, it wasn't quite Nick Saban or Jimmy Johnson or Pat Riley, but this was as close as you could get for UM. This was, you know, uh, you know, a favorite son who had had success, uh, not only, you know, as a head coach, you know, of a prominent program, but also uh, up at FSU. So it's like people knew him. He was Bobby Bowden's offensive coordinator and he was familiar to everyone and he lived down here and all the rest of this. And he was bringing back the former players. I can't think of a parallel example where it just, I mean, Saban maybe, I guess, but I, I don't, I don't feel like with Saban, it was so much that most fans had checked out on him the second season. It was that he had checked out on the whole thing. Like I, and, and maybe Rick did too, but this felt different to me. I mean, did it feel different to you and, and Joe and, and all yes. that? You're doing the shows. Yeah, no, it did because yeah, because you got, you got to think about it when before Mark Rick, before Blake James went up in the private jet and picked up Mark Rick and brought him home to Coral Gables, there were plenty of other names out there, Bush Davis, uh, you, uh, even even like Elaine Kiffin or whatever it was that maybe the Hurricanes could get or will they settle for this guy. Mark Rick wasn't even out there at the time. And when the rumors started going around that Mark Rick and Georgia might be parting ways, it was kind of like a joke. Oh, how great would it be if Miami could land Mark Rick? I mean, this guy – coached at Georgia he was a Florida State guy and then you go back in the day he was the Miami guy this is the guy coming home this would be amazing he could turn everything around so quick he knows the SEC he knows how to recruit guys and then all of a sudden Blake James comes back to Coral Gables on a private jet with Mark Rick and announces the hiring it wasn't a home run it was a grand slam comparing it to Saban I don't know because when Saban got to the Dolphins he was the hottest commodity out there but I don't think that we thought that – I don't think the people, media or fans, thought at the time that Nick was going to come down here for two years and bolt to back to college football, like maybe to a better NFL job maybe. But he failed here uh, coaching men, not coaching kids. As you can see now, and this is going to – I feel like my lungs and my, and my mouth's going to burn saying this, but Nick Saban's the greatest college football coach maybe ever. Like I don't think it's even a debate anymore, like what he's done there, what he's – built there back at Alabama. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But when Mark Rick got down here, the feeling I think for Hurricane fans was 
we got our guy. It's not Al Golden. It's not Randy Shannon. It's not even Larry Coker taking over for Butch Davis, the keys to the Porsche and turning it into, you know, rent the car. I mean, it was Mark Rick. It was a legit guy. And within two or three years, two and a half years, the program was back to where it was and maybe in a worse shape than Al Golden. Like the recruiting was bad. You saw what happened recruiting day this year. It just, I know Manny was behind the ball a little bit, but that's what's going to happen when a new, new coach comes in, especially when he takes another job for about a week and a half and then comes back. But I just couldn't believe what happened with Mark Rick. I never thought the day they hired Mark Rick that we would be in this position now as media, as fans of the Hurricanes, looking at this team going, wow, we're really excited with Manny Diaz. You have Mark Rick here for a couple of years. That was a grand slam. And it really ended up being like a bloop single. It was nothing. It was, it was, like, an, it was like Mark Rick never was here. It's crazy. Yeah, and I, I do kind of wonder, so I, I agree with you. To me, the idea, like, Mark Rick was just so far above the expectations. I remember that coaching search. I was I was trying to look for, well, who's kind of the under-the-radar candidate that might be looking to make a name for himself? Because Miami was kind of hiring at the $2.5 million a year range, and that just wasn't the upper echelon of college football. Once it gets reported that, you know, it's in the conversation – and um and and that you know we're we're talking about four million five million dollars that you have to pay for a coach. You're talking about a whole new ball game, and and Mark Richt uh, is part of that. But now, as we look forward, do you view when, when Manny Diaz was hired? Obviously, we've seen what's happened since and how much the program has changed. But when Manny Diaz was hired, uh, first off, again another crazy situation where he takes a job for a week and a half and then takes the Miami job. But uh, did you think it was a home run hire then when, when he was hired? Even but even having even before having seen what's happened since. Well, I, I didn't know for sure I love Manny as a defensive coordinator loved him loved him and figured to be 100% honest Mark Rick coaches two more years maybe three and just hands it over to Manny Manny kind of knows in the back of his head this is going to be my job or this is my dream job anyway so if I stick here for a couple of years maybe I'll get a, you know a raise here and there maybe I'll make some more money I'm home obviously you know Manny Diaz is a Miami guy so of course he wanted to be here um so I, I, I don't like when when he first came back I honestly couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that even something like that could happen. Um, oh, see, all my dogs are even excited about Manny Diaz. <laughs> um, uh, I, I couldn't believe the situation, but I'll be honest, I didn't think that Manny was going to be able to sustain it right away because of how bad the recruiting was, and this could be bad. I didn't know who he was going to bring in. I didn't know what he was going to do with the offensive coaches. And what did he do? He came in here and cleaned house. So what did I think when Manny got rehired? I was as shocked as anyone else. I couldn't believe it was a true story. I wasn't sure how it was going to work out that day. A couple of weeks later, a month later, with what he's done, I think he gets it. And he knows that he can't do everything by himself. I think Mark Rick, to a fault, figured he could just do it all by himself. Get a defensive coordinator in there like Manny and do it all by himself. What Manny's done is put a lot of really good people around him from winning programs. Obviously, when he went to Alabama and took a couple guys from there, he's done it. I, I don't know. What, what he's now done with, obviously, and we'll get into that, with the transfer portal is something we've never seen before. So I'm really not sure how the first year was going to, you know, kind of go in my mind compared to like, three or four weeks ago compared to now. But now I think it's, you know, I almost think it's a home run. I'm afraid to say it now because I thought maybe when Randy took over, it was a home run. I thought when, you know, you know Butch left and gave it to Coker was a home run. I'm swinging and missing here as someone watching from the outside, but I'm hoping at this point that Manny sticks here he has the right guys around him and uses whatever resources he can, recruiting, transfer portal, grad transfers, whatever he could do to get this team better immediately. Because I don't think the fans, two or three years down the road, if this team is still kind of where they're at right now, Manny won't last. He just won't last. 
And that's see my my question on on this. Once you get past the enthusiasm, is just the structural issue with the university right right now. Because uh, I, I love Manny's enthusiasm. I was for him becoming the head coach. I was disappointed when Rick resigned, not because Rick resigned, but because oh, couldn't you resign three weeks ago before Manny Absolutely. left? Absolutely. Yeah. I was yep. Manny from the beginning, even more so than Cristobal. I I understand that Mario's gone on and done some really big things, but Manny was here last year. Like he knows the program, players know him. You didn't have to deal with the buyout, so you don't have the excuse later from UM that they can't spend money on this or that because they had to pay for Cristobal's buyout. So I was in favor of Manny. I love everything he's done. I just wonder structurally and where college football is right now if Canes fans just need to adjust the expectations anyway. Because I, I just I don't see this ever being anything close to what it was. I think it can be good. I think it can be it can give you some, you know tease you with some hope the way it did a couple of years ago when you're ten and zero. But I just I don't you know when you look at the way college football is set up right now, you know when when everybody was coming here in the two thousands or whatever. I mean it was before you know every single college game was everywhere streamed everywhere. Kids can go anywhere to play at this stage. Uh, the Miami mystique, to a certain degree, has worn off because, I mean, look, um, Billy Corbin hasn't put out a new doc in a while, right? Like, I mean, that's, that basically right. but, but I mean, is, isn't the bigger issue that he's run out of material? Well, there's nothing left. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. right. There's, there's nothing left. I mean, so, I mean, it's not just one era now that's been, yeah, it's been three. I mean, it, it's, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, Shannon, Golden, and Ricked, where with the exception of getting to 10-0 and and beating Notre Dame and all the rest, you really haven't anything to cheer. And so I, I just I think the Canes fans need to moderate here a little bit. I mean, we did a watch party for the first game of the season last year against LSU, and it was like, the U is back. You know, just like, you know, the Panthers have games in hand and all of my favorite expressions. You know, heat culture. <laughs> the Dolphins are like, the Canes are back. No, they weren't back. You know, they, they were 10 and three. They got pretty much blown out or at least blown out twice in their last three games last year. And we saw this year they couldn't even I mean, they couldn't beat anything, any, you know, major college teams. I mean, really, I mean, they didn't have a win of significance other than a, a sloppy one point win against against a bad FSU team at home that required a, you know, a call in their favor at the end. So. I just think that it's good to be enthusiastic about Manny. It's good to embrace him. I love that you have, you know, a coach down here who speaks Spanish, who's part of the community, who loves the program. That's all terrific. But, uh, you know, I would be happy with nine and three, right? If if they just showed progress, you know, that they could actually move the ball more than three yards at a time, the way it was at points last year. I, am I correct in this or, or should we be thinking of the U as the U? No, no, no. I, I agree. I mean, listen, it, for the Cannes fans out there, and some of them are, they just don't want to give up the past. And I'm not saying they should give up the past, but 2001 was the last national championship. That's 18 years ago. They really haven't done much since, except for we're, we, we bitch about coaches and we bitch about, you know, we just got a great recruiting class down here in Miami and it ended up being a terrible recruiting class two years later. I mean, you can go back to the Ja'Cory Harris, you know, recruiting class where you got all the Northwestern kids, everything's going to turn around here. And it was a bust, like nothing happened from it. Um, expectations for realistic Canes fans are, let's put this thing back together. The problem is there's a lot of unrealistic Hurricane fans, uh, Canes, Canes fans out there who look at it and say, after, especially after the 10-0 season, especially after these good starts, we're back. The U is back. There's only one way for the U to be back. And the problem with all that is you lose to a Pittsburgh, you lose to a Duke, you lose to something in North Carolina one year. Like, you can't lose those. You're in the ACC for a reason. And the reason why the ACC wanted you in there 
So every single year, Miami and Florida State or the Clemsons in there or the Virginia Techs in there are going to play in that ACC championship on national TV, and that's it. The Canes haven't done it. Florida State did it for a bunch of years. Virginia Tech did it for a couple of years. Clemson now is the number two team in the world outside of Alabama. The Canes are not there. The Canes are a seven and six team one year. They're a nine and three team one year. They're back to seven and six. They lose. They have that stretch in the middle of almost every season or toward the end of every season where things are going great. They blow a game against Duke or Pittsburgh or Virginia, and then it's three games in a row that you lose after that, and then the season's gone. You go. You went from being you're up to like number nine in the country or seven in the country. Now you're not even ranked three weeks later until first off, it's the same thing. And, and God forbid I bring them up too. It's the same thing with the dolphins. Until you get a quarterback in here for a couple of years and then you have a guy behind him ready to go, it's not going to work. And, and that's the underlining meaning in football. Forget college or pro or world league or the AAF. A quarterback does everything for you. When was the last time we've talked about a Canes quarterback that was really good I'm not talking about putting up stats. Brad Kaya put up stats. Ja'Cory Harris put up stats. I'm talking about a guy that realistically – and Ken Dorsey, you know, we could go back to him because he won his, He lost his first game. He lost his last game, that, that Ohio State game, and he was great in between. But look at the players on those teams. Yeah. There were 38 first-round picks. I mean, you can't even put Ken Dorsey – Ken Dorsey just had to go out there and legitimately the coach should have told him that before every game, just don't be stupid, and you're going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. No one knows who you are, Ken Dorsey. They know everyone else on this team. Andre Johnson, Santana Moss, the running backs that they had there, just get in the ball. So I say that because you have really good players on this team. I think Miami's got really good athletes, but they just don't have that guy. They have a couple of guys on defense that could be that guy, but defense is not going to win in college football. Now with teams playing at 40 points every game. Where's the guy on offense? Where's the guy UM has been searching for? I don't care if Randy Shannon is coaching this team or Whitty's coaching this team. If you have a guy on this team that could real just get everyone – like right now, the guy on this team that I'm most afraid of is the damn punter. Like the punter. Like this guy's <laughs> picture – if this guy was the quarterback, if Headley was the quarterback Woo! of this team – I, I would be scared to play Miami next year. But he's a punter. If he was a defensive tackle, I'd be afraid to play Miami next year. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to the punter in a moment because I want to talk about the punter. But um, but I I, I agree with you. So I, I disagree a little bit with the broader assertion, but definitely agree with the quarterback point. So I don't think that Canes fans have unrealistic expectations anymore. Obviously, the word back gets thrown around because you're ten and zero and you're number two in the in the playoff rankings late in the year. Sure, I mean, that, sure. like that's that's you know a proof of legitimacy. But to me, it has more to do with. Again, like you said, Zach, winning this division every year is your loan requirement. Sure. And, and like, and I don't think Canes fans are being unreasonable when they say, "Don't lose to Pitt, don't lose to Duke." Don't lose to UNC. Don't lose to the bad teams in your division. Okay, maybe you play a really competitive game of Virginia Tech and it goes down to the wire and you lose that game. That's fine. But it, it, it's about beating the teams you should beat. And then when you come up against LSU and next year Florida and when you play Clemson every now and again, don't embarrass yourself and every once in a while win one of those games. So I, I, I don't yep. th like. I think that's where the expectations are. And I think when Mark Rick falls below them, when Randy Shannon falls below them, when Al Golden falls below them, uh, below them, that's when the fans get. Matt and I and I believe, based off the pedigree of this program, based off of where they where they're located and how they can recruit, 
I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation of the fans. Okay, and, and, and listen, Winnie, I'm not even going to argue with that because my dad's a diehard Hurricane fan. Diehard, diehard, diehard. You so know, what happened to you then? TV I couldn't afford to go to University of Miami, plus I had a 2.6 GPA. They weren't letting me in there, okay? <laughs> I got into community college, and then I got into University of Florida. That's my There's my background for you in a nutshell. Um, you go back to the season where the two home games, was it, two years ago, when you had Virginia Tech and Notre Dame here at home, and you won both those games, and there, right after there, the expectation was huge. And then all of a sudden, you lose, you lose a couple games in a row. What I'm saying is, you want to know when I'll tell you the U is back, when the U gets to the ACC championship game on the coastal side two or three years in a row. Get there a couple years in a row. Show that you're that team. Make sure the recruits see that every year, because then you could say the U is back. Don't get there one year, get blown out by Clemson, say we're back, and then for the next two years go seven and six and have bad seeds. That's all up. That's that's the unrealistic thing I think Canes fans think. As you go back a couple of years and they got to, and then they lose to Wisconsin in, in two in bowl games and get blown out. Like that just doesn't happen. The University of Miami, 1986, 1983, 2001, all the national championships that they won, and they won a bunch. You know, back back in the day, and I say back in the day because it really was years and years ago. Um, that's when the U was, was at their best because every single year you knew what was gonna, you were going to get from them. You have no idea what you're going to get from this Kane team now year by year. One year, all of a sudden, it's a 10-0 start. The next year, they're 7-6. and six. Then they get to a good bowl game and get blown out in the bowl game by a team that had no that you should have beat. Like I, I, Wisconsin's really good, but the, when, when the Canes and Wisconsin line up, the Canes should have better players than Wisconsin. Maybe not the beefy offensive linemen that Wisconsin gets or the Ron Dane running back that they always have on their team, it seems like, every year. But what I'm saying is Miami should be able to line up every week, even with a Clemson team. Right now it's different because Clemson is just – they're on autopilot. They don't even need to go out and recruit. They just say, if you want a scholarship, call us, and we'll, and we'll, we'll see if you're worthy of it. It's the same thing at Alabama. Miami was like that years ago. They're not. So have a season – have three seasons in a row. Manny has – where they're like Ethan said, nine and three. Uh, they're getting to the, the the coastal. Maybe they lose to Clemson because Clemson's on this big roll. At least if they lost to Clemson 38-28, a good game, you'd walk out of there going, man, we were close, and we are close to beating Clemson. We're not there yet, but maybe next year these kids get a little bit older, and Clemson maybe loses a bunch of players. You just haven't seen the consistency. There's no consistency. Every couple of years now since what? 2001, Coker was there five years. Randy was there four years. Al was there four years. Mark Rick was there three years. Not saying you need a 10-year coach, but have a guy that's there five or six years that gets to the ACC title game four times. Then the unrealistic, what I think of an unrealistic Canes fan's expectation, I'll throw it out the window. I'll retract this entire podcast. I don't even, I don't even remember it. I'll black out and say I don't remember doing this. But until that happens, the realistic expectations are, you need to try to win the Coastal, not win the ACC and get to the national championship game. And I think a couple of years ago with the 10-0 start and everything that happened with this team, fans got that inflated ego back, and that was the worst thing to happen to this team probably in the last decade. We'll get back to today's episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast in a second. But first, I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, and that is Doral Toyota. Doral Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. I've been there before. It is a fantastic location. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. In-house financing is available 
available for credit-related issues. If you mention five reasons, when you call 305-680-1129 or come in the dealership, you will work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go, Doral Toyota. Let's take a look at your Gators for a second, because I do think that this is applicable to UM. So Florida looked like they were in a sort of a a death tailspin there for a while, right? Like, I mean, it was not good, right? I mean, you've had a couple of coaches that haven't worked out. And then like Dan Mullen comes in and they're competently coached and voila, look what happened. And all Gator fans are happy right now. So from your purview as a Gator, how did it happen with Florida? And can you see any of that? occurring now with the University of Miami yeah I can because it was kind of you know like you go to the will you know Urban Meyer's there till what 2010-11 and then Will Muschamp comes in and uh, Will Muschamp's you know kind of defensive mentality it just changed every when did the Gators ever have a defensive mentality they always were the Steve Spurrier Urban Meyer going back to what Spurrier was there with 90-91 whenever he, he started there and that's when you started at least losing games 52-35 you know, or winning games and, and, and trying to score as much as you can. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You need an offensive mentality there. And the Ron Zook era, uh, Urban Meyer got there. And, you know, whatever he did during recruiting, God bless his couple of years there recruiting who he had to recruit to get there. Um, look what happened, including Jesus himself, Tim Tebow, getting recruited and going there for a couple of years. And rooming with Aaron Hernandez, the irony in that, but that's a whole other podcast <laughs> by itself. Um, but just what Florida did was they didn't go outside. They went outside the box with McElwain and it didn't work. They went outside the box kind of with Bull Muschamp and it didn't work. They bring back Dan Mullen, offensive mentality. All of a sudden, a bunch of offensive players want to go there. How many years have the Gators went without a, since Tim Tebow, without a quarterback? After Tim Tebow, think about the guys they threw off campus, Cam Newton and Will Greer. Two guys that were Heisman Trophy guys, national championship guys, guys that got drafted either one overall or this year with Will Greer. There hasn't been a quarterback there since Tim Tebow. Felipe Franks is there now. Yippee. All I can say about him is yippee. He wins games, that's fine, but there's no, like, shock value with Felipe Franks. And, and to be honest, I don't know if there is one right now on campus with Felipe or whoever the backup is or whoever the backups are for the quarterback position there. But go back to what you like, – like how you got good – for the Canes, it was getting nasty, getting nasty on defense and, and throwing the ball downfield. That was the Canes. The Gators are going back to that. They still have that defensive mentality because they get a lot of really good defensive players. They've seen over the last five or six years a ton of Gators that are drafted on defense. Not so many on offense, but they're kind of changing the narrative a little bit. That's what Manny needs to do. 
the way I could like kind of transform the Florida into Miami talk is Miami needs to bring that nasty defense back. That's why Manny is there. And they need to throw the ball downfield. How many times, and I, Witty probably has the stat off the top of his head, how many times last year this team, the Hurricanes, have a real a, a terrible passing game where they threw for like 70 yards, 80 yards in a game, 100 yards. That's not Miami. Gino Toretta was probably crying when he watched those games because Gino was just over 400 yards a game. Miami is good with a nasty defense and a throw downfield offense. The Gators were always good with the spread five wide receiver offense and a little bit of a nasty defense. So that's what Florida's just a little bit ahead of Miami right now when it comes to getting where it needs to go. Miami might not be that far behind, but it also depends on what happens on offense here with this quarterback for Miami. What happens with, is it, is it the, the Tate Martell kid? Is it the Jaron Williams kid? Is it the Kosey Perry? It, it goes back to that position for, I think, the Canes. The defense is fine to a point, although in the last couple of games last year, they kind of pooped the bed a little bit. But I just think that Florida got it. Florida, you know, had a conversation with itself, an inner conversation, and just said, how do we get back to where we were with Urban? Well, you got to recruit a lot better. They're doing that a little bit more. McIlwain was doing okay. Muschamp did okay. Dan Mullen hit a home run in his first kind of year and a half or whatever it was kind of recruiting for this team. Manny, what he did in three weeks in the damn transfer portal, if all these kids work out, they could be a lot closer to where they want to be just from the transfer portal. So it's just, I, I don't know. I think Florida got it. I think Florida had, like I said, a kind of conversation in-house. How do we get back to where we were? Bring in our, one of our old guys again, Dan Mullen. Let him run his offense, and let's go from there. Let him bring in his own defensive guys. Let them do their own thing here. I hope Manny lets Enos do his thing on offense, bring in some of that Bama offense, throw the ball downfield, and then just make that defense nasty and violent again. And I think it will be. Dan Mullen's got it on track. Manny's a year away, maybe two, from getting it, I think, where he wants it really to be on offense. Yeah, and, and that for me, you look at, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of common themes across the programs and why uh, they were so good in the 90s is because I think back then there was a bit of a de-emphasis on the quarterback position where, okay, if you have the great quarterback, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good in college football. But I think now you see it requires two things. Obviously, it's finding that quarterback, but also the modern system. I think like Alabama doesn't yep. really take off offensively until they pair the quarterback with a modern college system, whereas I think the Florida programs almost took such a pride in sending players to the pros that they that they don't really kind of keep up with the system. I wonder uh, what Miami is going to do. Definitely Dan Mullen brings that modern system, and obviously Willie Taggart's trying to bring that in at Florida State. But, I mean, the quarterback talent here has never really been that great, in my opinion. It was kind of funny that they were quarterback you, but they're always talent you that made the quarterback look better than he actually is. And that, and that for me, is a fascinating conversation uh, when you look at Miami is that realistically in college football, you're not really able to talent your way to victories as, like you said, Ken Dorsey, don't screw it up. Ken Dorsey can't yeah. win you a championship now. You have to like you have to have pros at every position, and, and talent in college football is just too well dispersed now for that really to happen. So Miami needs to find this quarterback. So let's talk about uh, what Miami is going to do going into next year at that position. And uh, to me, I, I find interesting. Obviously, Tate Martell is the guy that gets everyone excited, but I was I would I probably would have preferred, even though Martell is probably going to be here longer, if Jalen Hurts came in because then you have a quarterback for next year. I, I think it's going to be unlikely, and frankly, I think it should be unlikely, that Tate Martell gets a waiver to play uh, for next year. So if you're bringing back Nikosi Perry and Jaron Williams to compete for the job, have you really changed anything about this UM program? Even as excited as we are, and obviously the transfer portal plays a huge part of it, but have you really changed anything, anything of the 
quarterback's going to be the same. I'll tell you, the only way that that narrative works where it's, something has changed is if Jaron Williams comes in here and he just shocks people. Because even at the end of last season, there were people saying, just play Jaron, see what he could do, especially with the rule now where you could play four games and, and not be, you know, take the red, not take the red shirt uh, mm-hmm. or take the red shirt. Um, I just think that if Jaron Williams is given an equal opportunity to beat out Nikosi Perry or Weldon if he stays around also, um, and he could win and beat out Nikosi, then maybe you have something there. I don't know. It, the great unknown right now is Jaron Williams. Came in here with a lot of hype, but so did Nikosi, but we haven't seen it yet. So it's like, it's like you know, the sexy backup quarterback. Everyone loves the backup quarterback until the backup quarterback has to play. He could change that a little bit if he literally comes in here and in spring practice, the coaches, Danny Enos looks at Nikosi and Jaron and says, here are two footballs. One of you guys is going to throw one of these footballs on day one, but right now you're both equal. So someone has to beat the other guy out. If they go full competition, which they might, and, and you know, Manny knows, you know, Nikosi and probably knows Jaron from practice or the scout team. But I just think the, the best narrative for the Canes right now is that Jaron Williams comes in here next season. If Tate Martell, like you said, just doesn't get the waiver and he has to sit a season. If Jaron Williams beats out Nikosi, there'll be a buzz on campus. If Nikosi is the starting quarterback going into next season because he beat out Jaron Williams in spring and had a really good fall practice until the start of the season, I think there's going to be this kind of small cloud over the team because you see Nikosi and you didn't see much out of him. I don't know if it was the if it was Mark Rick's offense, and maybe it changes with Enos. I don't know. But we've seen Nikosi throw the ball, run the ball, scramble the ball, do those long claps right before he hikes the ball. We've seen it. Jaron Williams is the only thing right now on offense coming back that could change the dynamic of this team. If he's good enough. So that's the question. Is Jaron Williams good enough to beat out Nikosi? If he is, we have a whole new kind of outlook on the offense. If Nikosi does then you're kind of biting your nails a little bit going, well, I really hope Danny Enos is a genius and gets Nikosi to play better. That's it. So you look at the program now and and obviously what's happening from an excitement standpoint. We started uh, the podcast talking about how negative it was and how kind of downtrodden it felt by the end, which is odd uh, given where UM had come from. But now with the social media, obviously Manny Diaz's Twitter account uh, has created a lot of buzz, uh, the transfer portal, the bringing guys in. And also, obviously the transfer portal is fun because you're adding players who maybe you didn't expect to. Is, it, is, is your house phone ringing? Who's calling? Uh, yeah, my house phone, <laughs> my, my dogs are barking. It always happens. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, <laughs> it's my son calling me from the other room. That's it. <laughs> uh, so the uh, so the transfer portal, um, you know, gets people excited. But also, one of the things I've talked about um, on the air is that uh, I've talked with Joe Sagaki, the voice of the Canes, who said that they only had like nine seniors nine seniors uh, going into next year because it would have been the transition class between Rick and Golden. There was some turnover there. So you're adding some age as well uh, to this program. But just when you look at the overall positive feeling, when you talk to Manny Diaz on the radio, when you hear from UM fans on social media, there's just this great sense of positivity. How important is that? Obviously, it has to be backed up by winning, but how important is it that now the fans are kind of back on side? And frankly, you know, it, the, the crowd will probably not drop off too much compared to over last year and the year before, and that there is still this excitement around this program when obviously, uh, looking at the broader landscape, there isn't a ton to be excited about in South Florida sports. Yeah, well, the South Florida sports right now is as bad as I've seen it, and maybe since I've been in radio or interning in radio in the early 2000s. Like, it's just, it's just, it's dismal. Every team, there's no team that's even like, okay, good right now. Everyone is just whatever. So Miami's got a chance to literally come out like a smoking gun next season. I think fans are excited because 
by the end of last year, fans have given up on Mark Rick. They gave up on him. They didn't want it. His offense was stinky. They didn't think they, they weren't scoring. They weren't passing the ball. They were doing nothing. And poor Manny Diaz's defense, who was ranked so high, you know, all season long, all of a sudden had to legitimately score points for them to win if they were going to win games. And he couldn't do everything. He couldn't have a defense on there, you know, playing Iron Man ball. Although maybe at certain times they would have had a better chance of winning games if they did that. Um, I just look at the fact that Manny Diaz is back and he's in charge and he has his guys now here and they pulled off a couple Alabama guys. You don't even need to throw names out for the Alabama guys. You could have just said we hired some Alabama guys and I think Kane's fans would have been happy because anything that goes to Alabama or touches Alabama is obviously really good. And I'm hoping that is the case because if these guys come in here and change the offense around and, and just kind of uh, uh, change things, I don't know why Keynes fans gave up so quick, but I do. Because you look at the team and you look what happened at certain points of the season. I mean, they started off 3-0, and and then you go back and you look at the team and go, oh, yeah, they played three cupcakes to start the season. So, Or, or they lost LSU, so they were 3 and Whatever it was, I just I think I think they needed some sort of kind of resurgence, some Manny Diaz, something that will excite them. And I think Manny does. Now, you said it, Witty, and if they, start, if they don't win games, I don't care who's coaching the team. Don Shula could coach them, and Jimmy Johnson – to be his OC, and if they start off one and two, they're going to want to fire both guys. Like, it's going to happen. But Manny, I think, is going to be given one year to kind of get all his stuff together. That doesn't mean if he goes five and seven or five and eight or whatever it is, that he's going to be, you know, okay and the fans are going to be okay with it. But I just think that everyone is so happy by the end to get rid of Mark Richt, which is still very surprising to me, that anything new is great, and the new is really not new because it's Manny Diaz. And I think everyone loved Manny Diaz, while he was here, you know, uh, as a defensive coordinator, but he's not the defensive coordinator anymore. He is the head coach with, with great, you know, he's got now much bigger responsibility because he's got to look over everything. Um, but I do think that there's a little bit more excitement because it's Manny and because guys are buying into it. And to be honest, we live in a social media world. Mark Rick didn't really know social media. When, when a guy came to the U, he put it's a great day to be a cornerback at University of Miami. That's fantastic. Manny Diaz is wrestling dudes in the locker room and putting videos out. Like, you know, like the punter looks like he he just did 10 years at Leavenworth. Like, like this, it's just amazing what transpired in the last couple weeks or couple months that maybe there's a little bit more excitement. Because if Mark Richt was coming back with the same staff, including, and Manny left and stayed at Temple, I can't even imagine what this outlook we're looking for next season would be with the Hurricanes outside of, man, one more year of Mark and maybe he'll get fired. That's not a great way to go into the season. I want to broaden this with you a little bit because you mentioned it. Um, and you've been, ha- what was your first year in radio down here, Zach? Uh, I interned at the end or middle 2002. Okay. So, so you, your career has lasted 17 years and yet you have not seen as a working member of the Miami media, uh, the Dolphins win a playoff game, uh, which is remarkable. No, no. Uh, and, I've been to the, I went to the 2008 game. I was really excited. I got the towel. I was excited. I was sitting with Greg Likens. In the media thing, we had towels. We were so excited, and then Ed Reed intercepted uh, Chad Pennington forty-three times that, that game. Yeah, yeah, that and that was it. Yeah, <laughs> Chad could not throw beyond seven yards at that stage. Uh, no, no, no. He had a great year, but it was it was pretty much over. So that's how far you go back uh, since two thousand two. 
And I, I mean, this is uh, to me the most mediocre that Miami sports has ever been. I mean, it's not the worst because 2007 was probably the worst. You had the Heat winning 15 games, and you had the Dolphins going one and 15 during that stretch of time, which was pretty awful. Yep, yep. And the Panthers, of course, were not a playoff team. I, I don't even have to look it up. And and the Marlins were not a play. I can't. There's a whole series of teams between about 2003 and 2012 with the Marlins that I cannot remember. Like I, I go back and look. At, at the stats from those teams are like, wait, that guy was on the Marlins. That guy was on the Marlins. That's just, it. it. All you have to do is remember the two years they, they got to the playoffs and they won the world series both years. That's, that's it. all you that's, gotta remember for the Marlins. That, that, that's it. That's the whole history. That's all of it. So yep. I, I guess as a, as a talk show host, who's got to be on there every day and, 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 you know, occasionally has to be, uh, you know, steering a certain someone in certain directions. Um, as I know you, you try to do, how do you <laughs> talk sports in this market? And, which of the teams do you think of the five that we, you know, that we do talk about the most here on the network is, is poised to make people excited again, the most? Wow. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, because I would have probably, uh, outside of what's going on with them right now, I probably would have said the heat. I think that, you know, within a season or two, Pat Riley has one bad year, then obviously then turns everything around. Uh, but right now he's put himself in a huge, a huge hole. So I, I'm going to, and it's unfortunate because I think that would be the easy answer uh, is with is with the Heat, but I'm not going to go with the Heat. Um, the Marlins, well, we're, we're a couple of years away from them at all. Panthers, I wish because I think hockey would be fun to watch and hockey playoffs are fun to watch. And when the Panthers had made the playoffs, it's been entertaining the three or four times in the existence of the franchise they made it. Um, I think it's one of the football teams. I, I, I believe because of the fact that there's a new regime basically for both football teams, that there might be a little excitement, even though, which I've in all my years down here as working and you know, I'm a South, I'm born and raised in South Florida. So I've been down here since 79 since I was born. I've been here forever. I'm going to be 40. I'm an old man already. And I've seen everything down here. I went, I just think I've never seen an owner like Stephen Ross come out and say, we're two or three years away from competing. I, I heard that and almost fell out of my chair because you've never heard someone be that honest. So I like honesty for my guys but I kind of want you to lie to me a little bit also and say things are going to get better sooner rather than later. Um, so as crazy as this is to say, I honestly think that it might be the Dolphins that might have a turnaround quicker than anybody, depending on how long my, the Hurricanes football team could keep their staff in place. Because I, I think it's easier in basketball to get better, but what, what's happened with these contracts and Pat, and, and, and you know, I, I almost hate to you know even say Pat's name in a negative way because – Everything he's done since 95 when he got here, to me, has been gold. He made basketball relevant. Single-handedly himself, by coaching and being the general manager, he made the Miami Heat relevant. They were here in 89. I was at that game in 88-89 with my fake tuxedo shirt on that they gave out the front door. It was a little tight on me because I was a big kid, but I still wore it. <laughs> and I was excited to be there with all the people in their tuxedos because my dad came from New York, and he was a huge basketball fan, loved the Knicks, and he told me when the Heat, when the heat started – we're going to be Heat fans. That's it. We're Heat fans. They're the home team. And I loved it. And when Pat Riley came down here, it just changed everything. So the easy answer would be Pat Riley's going to turn everything around. But I just think it's going to take a little longer for him, depending on what happens with some of these contracts. And I think if the Dolphins could just get one or two drafts that work, they could actually become okay quick. I I, I almost don't want to throw up in my mouth saying that because I don't know <laughs> if I really believe it, but I want to. But I really think that the – in the NFL, listen, we talked about the one position in, in football. You get a quarterback, things change quick. 
if the Dolphins can get a quarterback, they can make themselves better quickly. But there's a humongous if in all caps and whatever comic sans you want to write if in. Um, it all depends on that. It's hard to even answer this question because I know I'm a media guy down here and I know I work on, you know, radio and I've done it for, you know, 16, 17, 18 years, whatever I'm working on now. Um, but I'm also a South Florida fan of sports. I love all the teams down here. And it pains me to say that all of our teams right now suck. And it's, it's a painful sports market right now. And I'm just hoping I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm drowning in a pool right now with a straw is my only breath saying, uh, Dolphins, uh, Kane, uh, maybe the Heat. Marlins and Panthers were, nah, I don't know if I can even say those names. But I do think if the Dolphins get a quarterback, they could change things quickly. Unless Pat Riley in the offseason can get rid of all those contracts and start from fresh, then all my chips are moving. And I'm all in on Pat Riley, not leaving basketball as a loser. I, I never thought I would ever think that that would happen. So I think Pat's going to try to turn it around quick. The problem is he's playing with, you know, he's got like a poker hand. He, 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 maybe he has, he's got a pair, maybe two pair. And everyone else is playing with full houses and, you know, royal flushes. And they've got a couple of guys making a ton of money that nobody really wants. Yeah, I'm yeah. going Dolphins as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, like the, in terms of guarantee, I think the Marlins actually probably have the most guarantee for success because they're embarking on a plan <laughs> that has worked the most often. But again, sure. like you said, but like you said, if you get if you get that one player, that being the quarterback, then things can change. Uh, to me, the actual correct answer is uh, Inter Miami Club de Football because uh, I think MLS is going to yes. is, is going to hit the ground running here. Wait a minute, I didn't know here. that was an option. <laughs> Ethan didn't give me that as an option. He only told me the five teams. If you would have said six, I would have said David Beckham is going to come in here, and there's no chance. David Beckham's going to want to have a bad team here. He's no. going to overpay or have the Moss brothers overpay for some crazy guy that only Witty knows about in, in one of these crazy <laughs> international leagues. And then I'm going to have to follow Witty to see what this guy did and Mike Ryan and see while they're following these team around the world. Yes. So if you're giving me a sixth option, I almost will go with Inter Miami, but it wasn't an option. The Ethan didn't let me you know, answer that. All right, fair enough. So, uh, so the the punter uh, from Fort Leavenworth is it Fort Leavenworth or just Leavenworth? Uh, by the way, so so use that as as an example for why for UM having a badass punter. Uh, for me, the better uh, story is the actual story, which was told by Manny Navarro yesterday. He was running a tattoo shop in Indonesia, which uh, for I me is it, it, it's just, I mean. That that is just an unbelievable detail for the UM punter who's 24 years old, looks like he's 44 years old, to have actually worked in Indonesia in a tattoo shop, and that's why he looks like that. It's just he like that guy's lived. That guy's lived a fuller life than yeah. probably you have. Oh no, hundred, not even a question. Whatever <laughs> I've done in my life is nothing compared to that 24 year old kid who looks like he just did 70 months in a prison upstate. Like he did, he just looks like that guy, and I love him. I've never met the guy. I've never talked to the guy. I've never seen the guy's punch. I've never, nothing. I haven't watched any of the videos. I saw one picture with him throwing up the U. And if you want to tell me at that point, the U is back, I'm not going to argue with that guy because that guy just looks like, that guy looks like the U is back. Like when Manny, when Manny was on our show, I think it was last week or the week before, right after signing day, I, I legitimately said to him, there's no way you're putting anyone else out at the coin toss, but that guy just by himself, like just by himself out there, let him flip the coin and he eats the coin afterwards and no one wants to mess with him. And he, and then he gets a tattoo, another tattoo at halftime and he gives it to himself. Like, I love that guy. He's never played it down here in South Florida and he's already my favorite athlete in South Florida. We'll get back to the episode here in a second, but want to tell you about something that's going on in the five reasons sports network this week. It is Dwayne Wade's last all-star game. We're excited about this in his 16th season. We're making it a Wade weekend. So it wasn't enough to just cover with one person up in Charlotte and send 
my butt up there, but we're also going to have Nikias Duncan. You know him as at Nikias NBA. He's our premier NBA analyst on the network. And also Lefty Leif. That's Greg Sylvander. You can follow him on Twitter too, at Lefty underscore L-E. IF. So the three of us are going to be up there for all of All-Star Weekend from Thursday night through Monday. Here's how you follow us. We're going to do a podcast on the Five Reasons flagship feed and also on Miami Heat Beat. So type Miami Heat Beat into your favorite podcast provider. We're also going to provide some interviews with other NBA analysts, media people, former players, current players, anybody we can find up there in Charlotte. And also check out our Instagram feeds because that's where you can find all of the video that we'll be posting, everything Dwayne does, we will be covering it. So follow us at Five Reason Sports. That's the number five reason sports. And also at MIA Heatbeat. And also the same handles on Twitter. So, Zach, I just want to close with year. Um, so you had a very interesting situation that happened in your personal life. Uh, you were very, uh, very open about it. And I, I, I you know, was sort of in, indirectly related because I was doing some work at, at QAM while you were away. And it was just I, I can't even imagine how difficult a situation for you. Uh, can you tell us about what happened with, you, with your son, Matt, and, uh, and how he's doing now? Sure. Well, uh, my son was born four months premature. My wife got very sick. And uh, we got to the hospital and basically two days into our hospital stay there. Cause they told us when my wife, when we checked in, uh, she was four months away from, uh, from, you know, her, her birthday, February 2nd was supposed to be his birthday, uh, which would have been what the 10 or 11 days ago. And um, they basically said, you're going to be here until the baby's born. You're at 23 weeks and, and four days. You need to try to make it to 27 weeks. Cause then we feel really comfortable but the doctor also said we don't feel comfortable anywhere before 24 weeks. Like it needs to be at least 24 weeks, but 27 is where we want to get to before something happens. Well, I'm not even going to lie, like a movie or a novel that you read, the night before we hit 24 weeks, my wife started to cough. And they came in and gave her medicine, the Robitussin or cough medicine. And the next morning, I went to go do my show. I was staying at the hospital with her. I woke up at 4 a.m., ran to the, the, do the show. She was still coughing and sick. And what had happened was her lungs were being filled with water and no one saw it. She was drowning. My wife was literally drowning. And now we start the show at 6 a.m. At 5.58, my phone rings and Joe looks at me and goes, oh, shit. That's all he said to me because he knew that it wasn't someone calling me to say, hey, uh, it wasn't Ethan saying I could be your guest on your show today at 5.58. That doesn't (laughs) happen. But it was my wife. And she goes, hey, they're going to give me some medicine to go to sleep because I haven't slept all night. And I said, take two of whatever they give you and, and rest because you need it. Well, I hung up with her. Joe looked at me and said, is everything okay? I said, right now, everything is okay. At 6.14 a.m., when we went to our first break, she called me and said she couldn't see out of either one of her eyes. She couldn't breathe. And something is totally wrong. Well, I'm a big guy. I'm about 300 pounds. I ran a 4.1840 to my car from upstairs in the studios. Got to the hospital, and if the highway patrol is listening, you can't get me in trouble now. It's been too late. I drove about 110 miles an hour in pouring rain on 95 North to get from Miami Gardens to Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital, where my wife was. I got there. There were 30 doctors and nurses outside of my room with security, and I ran through them like I was doing a drill at the combine to try to get to my wife. And the OBGYN looks at me and goes, she's crying, the doctor. And she goes, if we don't do something soon, we're going to lose both of them. Jesus. And I went, what do you mean both of them? She, she goes, we're going to lose your wife and we're going to lose the baby. Holy shit. And I said, well, what the? I go, what the fuck are you waiting for? You do what you need to do. And literally, she goes, call your parents, call her parents. We're getting this baby today. 
And the baby came out, Matthew Elijah Krantz, my son, my heart and soul, my guy. Uh, he was born at 24 weeks, and he was born at one pound, one ounce. He was legitimately taken out of my wife in an emergency C-section, put in an incubator, and spent the next 236 days in Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. I'm glad to say that there is a very good, happy ending so far to this. We've now been home since June 6th. Uh, that one pound, one ounce little kid that, that had his... And by the way, as crazy as all this sounds, it's even crazier when you looked at my son when he was born and his eyes were still fused shut. They weren't even, they couldn't even open. They'd have, if they wanted to try to open his eyes, they'd have to cut the skin underneath to get it. It's disgusting. But anyways, he's now a 25 pound meatball. He laughs when I make cow noises. He goes with me to Ikea when my wife sends me on a mission. He's doing good. He's not, he's not on oxygen anymore. He was on a ventilator for 100 days, first 100 days of his life, really yeah, keeping him alive. They grew him. They did everything for him. They gave him his medicine. And now he's sitting in the other room, probably staring at me watching Peppa Pig and just happy that I'm not being too loud and the dogs aren't barking. But um, it was one hell of a thing. I hope that I had to go through it for everyone in the rest of the world. I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemy in the whole world because um, I was legitimately in, in some sort of depression for 250 days while that kid was in the hospital. I ate cafeteria food for 250 days. I did everything you had to do to, I didn't know what to do. I was a parent, but I didn't know what to do. And there's no way that anyone could have, you know, educated me on this. And there's no advice that anyone could have given me because we were in the NICU at Joe DiMaggio for one of the longest stints they've ever seen a baby. And uh, he's here, he's home, he's doing good. Matt is awesome. He's going to go to a Canes game next year, hopefully with my dad, because my dad's a diehard. Canes not, he's going to be at all the lads, tailgates, you know, you know, probably not taking shots of booze with everyone else, but maybe he'll have beans and rice and, and the chicken. I don't know. I'm just he'll be dancing to the great end music. of the story. Yes, he'll be dancing. He gets on my shoulders. We look at airplanes outside. But it's uh, it was it was as scary as a situation as I've ever been in. And you know, I told you I'm turning 40 now. And 10 years ago, my wife had leukemia, so I've been through a lot in a decade. Yeah. Uh, I've aged a lot. I've got a ton of gray hair now in my goatee, which I never thought I would have. I'm going a little bit bald. Uh, I'd like to drink a beer every night now because I feel like that calms me down. I'm totally an old fart, like an old white man right now, and I like it. <laughs> you like it. It's, it's on brand for you. Yeah, I mean, I can I can yeah. imagine I can imagine no more helpless a feeling than, than what you just described. So uh, I just I, again that that feeling of not knowing what to do. So I can't even imagine sure. uh, the 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 the, uh, the difficulties of all that. All right, uh, Zach Krantz, check him out on the Joe Rose Show every morning with Zach Krantz. At 6 a.m. until 10 a.m. on 560 WQAM on Twitter at Zach Krantz. Appreciate the time, sir. Love you guys. Anytime for you guys. Thank you for listening to the Fire in the Podcast. Thank you so much. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.